you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member, you'll know a thing or two about an expertly packed capsule wardrobe that balances business and leisure. So you can go from conference sleek to cocktail party chic with a few new accessories. You can hustle from 9 to 5 before exploring with ease from 5 to 9. Because you're the chief excursion officer. The Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card. If you travel, you know. Learn more at go.amex slash you know business. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Having a child is life-changing. Priorities shift, identities grow, bodies change, and even time seems to flow differently. For many, there are also sudden changes in mental health. Welcome back to Savvy Psychologist. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Wu. Every week, I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. There's more to postpartum mental health than baby blues and even postpartum depression. So today on the show, we talk about lesser-known challenges that may not get as much attention as postpartum depression, but are no less real to new moms who experience them. And this episode is very special because in addition to our usual science-based programming, I chatted with author Phyllis Grant about her personal experience with some of the postpartum symptoms that we're going to talk about today. So stick around for that. It's very good. So the challenges, joys, love, and sheer existential whiplash of having a child are difficult to describe. As a new parent myself, I know this wild ride all too well. My own experience and talking to many parents, as well as many patients who also happen to be new parents, have shown me that there are many emotional layers involved in becoming a parent. For women who carry a pregnancy, there are particular hormonal, physical, emotional, and social changes that come roller coasting through around the time of giving birth. After all, a birth-giving mom is literally creating a human and delivering this delicate thing into the world and often then also nourishing this brand new person with her body. So this process, plus the excitement of everything else that's changing around mother and child, can be exhilarating. It can also take a tremendous toll on body and mind. Fortunately, there is now a lot of awareness about the common experience of postpartum depression, which globally affects about 17% of postpartum women who don't have a history of depression. Postpartum depression is a serious psychological disorder. Ask your doctor about it if you experience these symptoms within a few months of giving birth. So these include persistently low mood, difficulty feeling excited or invested, difficulty enjoying your baby, feelings of shame or guilt that you just can't shake, and thoughts of harming yourself or the baby. And there's a lot of really good resources at Postpartum Support International. I really encourage you to check it out if you're pregnant or you know someone who's pregnant or you know someone who's postpartum. 
Now, this episode is not really focused on postpartum depression. Instead, we're going to take a look beyond this common disorder and talk about some of the other mental health problems that can come up after giving birth. First, before we talk to Phyllis Grant about her personal experience, let's do an overview of three postpartum conditions that are not as well known as postpartum depression. So number one, postpartum psychosis. Postpartum psychosis is a rare disorder that happens for about 0.1 to 0.2% of birth-giving mothers, and it almost always shows up within the first two weeks postpartum. This is a very serious condition where the mother's perception and thinking are drastically altered. She experiences symptoms like intensely high moods and activity levels, acting very strangely or out of character, having delusions, which are thoughts that are clearly false and abnormal or bizarre, and hallucinations, hearing things or seeing things that are not there. Sometimes the delusions are about the baby. This could include things like believing the baby has special powers, is divine, is possessed, or even that the baby is dead. This can be very intense for the mother and scary for everyone around. So it is very important that if someone you know seems to be experiencing postpartum psychosis, you should treat this as an emergency. Help to get her psychiatric care right away. A tiny percentage of the time, those with untreated postpartum psychosis end up harming themselves or the baby. Another lesser-known postpartum mental health condition is postpartum OCD, which stands for Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. Now, this is very different from psychosis. In the general population, OCD is a pretty common psychological disorder. And for women who develop OCD at some point, pregnancy and childbirth are the most likely times for it to begin. Now, let's break down OCD by its two main components. First component is obsessions. Now, obsessions refer to intrusive thoughts, those that you don't come up with or want but can't seem to get rid of. Usually, these thoughts are scary or inappropriate in some way. In postpartum OCD, they often involve thoughts about accidentally or intentionally hurting the baby. The most important thing to know here is that intrusive thoughts do not reflect what you want or who you are. Just because you keep having that unwanted thought of dropping your baby does not mean that you will or that you want to. The second component of OCD is compulsions, which refers to behaviors you do in an attempt to decrease your intrusive thoughts or your anxiety about them. So this might include excessively washing hands when you have an intrusive thought about germs or repeatedly checking locks when you have intrusive thoughts about home invasion, for example. In the postpartum context, compulsions might include things like excessively checking on the baby refusing to hold the baby, or repeating mantras or counting in some superstitious way when you are having intrusive thoughts about the baby. Sometimes moms with postpartum OCD are afraid of being left alone with their baby because they're afraid that they'll do something bad. Again, the difference between postpartum OCD and postpartum psychosis is that with OCD, you're aware that your intrusive thoughts are bizarre and you don't want the scary thing in the thought to happen. In this case, you don't need to worry that you will act on a scary thought just because your brain came up with it. 
And the third and last mental health condition that we'll talk about today, and this is very personal to me, is called dysphoric milk ejection reflex, or DEMER for short. DEMER is a condition specifically related to breastfeeding. It's not well known at all, even amongst mental health professionals. It was first described in medical literature only a few years ago. I personally had never heard of it until my lactation consultant nodded knowingly as I described my own experience of DEMER when I was talking with her. When a woman with DEMER breastfeeds or pumps, she experiences an instantaneous and very strong sense of dysphoria. So this is a drop in mood, a feeling of hopelessness, overwhelming sadness, or she may experience a flare-up of anxiety or irritability. This can happen every single time she has a milk letdown, which means it can occur about 8 to 12 times or even more per day when the baby is a newborn. And because this is a pretty rare phenomenon, there's not much research to investigate how it works or how to treat it. Currently, researchers suspect that DEMER is caused by a hormonal fluctuation. We do know that poor sleep, caffeine, and stress seem to make it worse. But for many women, simply knowing what DEMER is and using distraction as a strategy tend to help. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Now, I personally suspect that Deemer is more common than we think. Many women likely don't even realize that they have Deemer, or they may think they have postpartum depression while it really is Deemer instead. And even many healthcare professionals are not aware of Deemer. This is why we're extra fortunate to have a guest on today's show to talk about her experience with Deemer and some of the other postpartum symptoms we've talked about today. Without further ado, the following is my interview with author Phyllis Grant. Mom, cook, writer, photographer. Her work has been featured in Esquire, The New York Times, Huffington Post, and plenty of other top-notch publications. Her book, Everything is Under Control, 
is a delicious and poignant memoir of her diverse life experiences. In it, she talks about her life as a dancer at Juilliard, cooking in world-renowned kitchens in New York City, falling in love, and, of course, becoming a mother. Phyllis, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. So there's so much honesty and beauty throughout your memoir and so much that we could talk about. Um, But today, I'd love to focus on your experience of becoming a mother and some of the struggles that came with it. So just to start with, could you tell us about your experience of new motherhood and what was that like in the beginning? Well, let's see. Uh, We had just moved to Los Angeles after living in New York City for about 11 years, my husband and I. Um, So in some ways, it was a very lonely time for us. We we were in debt. We didn't have a lot of friends. Um, We were struggling quite a bit. And then I got pregnant. And then I had one of those pregnancies where I was throwing up for the first 20 weeks. It was rough. And then I had actually a home water birth with my daughter. Isabel. So she was born um, 17 years ago in our little moldy bungalow in Venice Beach, California. Unfortunately, she came out and her lips turned blue and she was whisked out of my arms and and they had to resuscitate her and, and the oxygen and all that. It was quite dramatic and I hemorrhaged. So her entry into the world was traumatic really is the word that I would use. So those early days, it's sort of hard to untangle the the trauma from the sleep deprivation from sort of the the loneliness of you know not having family nearby and i really struggled those first few months i never felt like i was sort of able to um come up from under this cloud of of sadness part of that was obviously the sleep deprivation and so on and part of it was this, these hormonal shifts that really really were particularly difficult for me and since then i've talked to other women who've been through similar experiences so i never had any sort of sense of bliss with <laughs> breastfeeding it never felt good it felt necessary it felt like an incredible like super hero power to be able to feed my child that way. But I, in some ways, I think the fact that I breastfed as long as I did, it interfered in my ability to bond with my daughter because I had such waves of sadness uh, every time I breastfed my daughter. Yeah. It sounds like you really had a pretty tough time for many reasons in that beginning phase. And there's a paragraph in your book where you talk about a very specific and kind of interesting and rare experience related to nursing that was on top of maybe some of the more common struggles that many people deal with. So could you describe this more rare experience? Sure. Yeah. It, well, it's it's something um, that I have since learned is called DMARE, which is dysphoric milk ejection reflex. So what it is, is every time me breastfeed, which with a a little baby can be quite a few times during the day, (laughs) I would have these waves of sadness, of dysphoria. So I describe it like this. One breastfeeding session leads into the next. I use one arm to hold her to my breast. With the other arm, I grasp the side of the padded nursing chair. I can't look down because I'm convinced the earth will fall out from under me. So that's the feeling that I would have each time I breastfed. It's hard to figure out sometimes where the sadness is coming from. But when you feel that way, every time you breastfeed, one session does sort of um, bleed into the next. So then there's just always this general sense of sadness. And what I was able to do the second time around when I had uh, my son four and a half years later is I knew more about DMARE. I knew that I needed to distract myself 
while breastfeeding. So I never would just sit there and breastfeed and feel that sadness. Instead, I would pick up my phone or I would turn on the TV or I would grab a book. I would get a cup of coffee. I would do something as sort of a counterpoint to the sadness, something to sort of lift me out to distract me. So that was the huge sort of shift that I was able to bring into having a, a child again, because I really wanted to breastfeed the second uh, with my second child. And a lot of people discouraged me and said, you don't want to feel that way again. Don't do that to yourself. But I had some friends help me figure out how to, how to distract myself and sort of endure it. Yeah, because feeding happens so often with a baby that a good chunk of your experience, like hours a day, will be steeped in the sadness. So how did you or, and why did you make the decision to continue breastfeeding for so long while this was happening? Well, with my daughter, I really didn't understand what I was going through. So I thought it was a form of postpartum depression. And I just, as you said, steeped is the perfect word. And I wasn't able to isolate all of the pieces and step back and be kind of strategic. In some ways with my daughter, there just was, I I just knew I needed to feed her and I needed to get through. And I was really, really, really sad. But with my son, as I said, I was, I actually introduced solid food a little bit earlier so that he was eating less of the breast milk, more food. And I think I just had a little sense of distance and knowing it would pass because I had four and a half years between my kids. So I knew that I wouldn't feel sad forever. And I understood DMARE a bit more. And I really wanted to make sure to bring that up because with other forms of postpartum depression, and you can speak to this, but um, there are drugs that you can take, is my understanding, and things you can do to manage that deep sadness. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up postpartum depression because I can imagine someone going through this DMARE experience thinking that they have postpartum depression. So how did you realize that you did not have postpartum depression and instead had this other thing? Um, well, it really was this specialist who had me talk through all the details of what I was experiencing. So between breastfeeding sessions, I actually sometimes was able to feel fine. You know, I could put the baby down and walk in the other room and have a glass of water and then sort of spring back to life in some ways. So I had less of that steeped feeling with my son. Um, and she helped me recognize that, that it was not just this general sense of sadness. It was more the, the shifting of the hormones in the body. Gotcha. So was there anything else that was helpful or anything that was unhelpful that you tried to cope with this experience? I think, unfortunately, I... I resisted being social with both children, like getting out in the world. I, I would never have been such a fan of, of like mom groups and stuff like that or music classes. And I wish I'd sort of forced myself to get out in the world because that's another form of distraction. Because as you said, that steeped feeling, if you're home alone, one breastfeeding session leading into the next, it's really hard to, to, to step out of that sadness. And with DMARE, you can step out of that sadness. That is really, really good advice because I think it offers a sense of hope uh, that it's not a pervasive, wet, heavy blanket that covers everything, but rather something, an experience you can step out of. Is that your sense? Exactly. And one more thought about that. Um, for me, the uh, sleep deprivation, the sadness and so on obviously led to a certain amount of stress. And with me, stress leads to intrusive thoughts. So I had the DMARE in conjunction with intrusive thoughts about harming my children. 
obviously none of that happened, but it was just, if I was deep in a terrible breastfeeding session and I was stressed and I was tired and this and that, I had these sort of intrusive thoughts that kept appearing. Um, and I've read actually re recently, because I've sort of been diving back into this as I was writing my book, that that's a very common thing with women dealing with certain kinds of postpartum depression and DMAR where they slip into OCD. Absolutely. I think OCD and intrusive thoughts are quite common postpartum. And I think many women become scared by those thoughts because it feels like they are having quote unquote bad thoughts. But as you have probably experienced, these thoughts, they don't necessarily lead to action and they certainly don't reflect how you feel. Is that is that right? Right. And I just started talking to my 17-year-old daughter about this because this book is out in the world. And I wanted her to understand that just because I had these intrusive thoughts about harming her, did, you know, doesn't mean I ever, ever would have or ever did. Writing about it helps. That's what I did for years. I wrote to my friends about it. So it's okay to talk about, and it's really helpful to talk to you about it because I hear when you hear me say intrusive thoughts, you say, yes, that's very common. And I think that that's the most important message to get out there is just how common it is and how it's okay. Absolutely. I'm so glad you wrote about your experience too, because I think there are going to be many women out there who recognize themselves in what you wrote. So I think this will be very helpful to people. So any parting words of advice for moms who are struggling, whether with DMER or with something else in the postpartum period, it's, as I mentioned to you offline earlier, I myself have a newborn and it certainly is quite a handful. It's a very unique and challenging experience. Any advice for me and other moms out there? I think I'd go back to what I said a minute ago, which is writing about it. And it doesn't mean that you need to become a writer or are a writer. You know, it's not about that. It's more about putting these stories down and sending them to a few trusted friends. Just it normalizes it. And then it also is red flags for friends where they can say, oh, wait a minute, maybe you need a little more support than we as friends can give you. So I would say that, that getting, getting the stories down and the feelings down on paper, in some ways it keeps it from going back to that word you use steeped, you know, it keeps it from festering, get it, get it, either write it down or tell somebody what you're feeling and uh, drink a lot of water. <laughs> I'm doing that right now. <laughs> a lifelong thing. If you can drink a little more water than you think you need, that helps absolutely everything as does lengthening your exhale, which sounds a little cheesy, but that's every time in my life I've just been like my heart's racing or I'm overwhelmed. If I just slow my breathing down a little bit, ground my feet, lengthen my exhale, that can help just tremendously. Wonderful. So, so breathe, drink water, connect with people, get out of the house and use distractions and know that this will pass. Does that sound like a good summary? That sounds great. Well, this is so helpful. Thank you so much, Phyllis, for joining us. I know that people listening out there, women listening out there will find this uh, tremendously validating and be appreciative of your words. And I hope that many people will read your book and connect with the experience that you had as well. Thank you again for being with us. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at JadeWooPhD and at QDTSavvyPsych. If you'd like psychology tips delivered straight to your inbox, subscribe to Savvy Psychologist newsletter. You can also subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Don't miss out on next week's episode on the fear of death. 
Savvy Psychologist is audio engineered by Steve Rickyberg and edited by Karen Hertzberg. As always, Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and does not substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Thanks again for joining me, and I'll see you next week for a happier and healthier mind. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the neighborhood," she said, where Wafer helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home.